That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Friday, October 7th, 2022. It's about five or 10 minutes after two o'clock in the afternoon here on the East Coast of the United States. You can see who our guest is. Scott Ritter, of course, needs no introduction to the Judging Freedom audience. His background in the U.S. Marine Corps, particularly in military uh, intelligence, is well known highly regarded and well-documented. Scott, welcome back to the program. Just Thanks for having me. Right off, thank you. Right off the bat, given all the conversations we've had about this, can Russia lose this conflagration with Ukraine? Anything's possible. I mean, you know, if there's total corruption, total lack of competence, uh, inability to mobilize, uh, all the Russians wake up in the morning and forget how to walk, um, yeah. They could they could theoretically lose this, but as things currently stand, uh, with the fact set currently available, no, Russia is going to win this conflict. Um, you know, as, as I've told you often, uh, throw the calendar away. Russia doesn't operate based upon the artificialities of time; they operate on the accomplishment of tasks. And as, as we again previously spoke, uh, it was clear come September to the Russian authority, it was clear to me earlier that they had insufficient resources to accomplish the task. They are now in the process of accumulating those resources. And once they do that, um, they're going to finish the mission. That mission is demilitarization, denazification, destruction of the Ukrainian military, the elimination of the Zelensky regime, and pretty much the elimination of Ukraine as a modern nation state. Um, I'm, I'm not gloating over this. It's not an outcome that I prefer. Uh, but as an, a professional intelligence analyst, if I were briefing the president of the United States on down, this would be the conclusion I would give them, and I would be able to articulate exactly why this is going to happen. All right, you said the elimination, you said the elimination of Ukraine uh, as an independent nation. Do you mean the, the destruction of the government, the total takeover of Ukraine, or do you mean the neutering of the government so that it's no longer aligned with the West, but the only territory Russia wants is what it maintains has been Russian all along. There's a difference between the elimination of Ukraine as a nation state and Russian territorial acquisition. I personally believe that Russia will probably acquire four additional uh, provinces or oblasts in Ukraine that are dominated by Russians today. That's Odessa, Nikolaev, Nepepetrovsk, and Kharkov. Um, no, no, no. Kiev is, is, is separate. Um, but the Russians have said that they will accomplish all of their stated objectives. Nothing has changed. One of their objectives is denazification. And President Putin, in his most recent speech announcing the uh, mobilization, called the Zelensky government a Nazi regime. And I'm a simple Marine. Math isn't my forte, but two plus two equals four. If you call the Zelensky government a Nazi regime and your policy is denazification, that means mission is not accomplished until the Zelensky government is removed. What does he mean? 
what does he mean by a Nazi regime? Is there a Holocaust uh, against the Jews? What, what does he mean? There's a Holocaust against the Russians. There's a genocide against the Russians. The genocide has been ongoing since 2014 when the Ukrainian government uh, forcefully evicted Viktor Yanukovych, the legally elected president of Ukraine, replaced him with a government that was dominated by right-wing people who embraced the ideology of Stepan Bandera, a Ukrainian nationalist who fought alongside Adolf Hitler in World War II, who killed tens of thousands of Jews, slaughtered hundreds of thousands of Russians and Ukrainian uh, Poles. I'm sorry. They passed laws banning Russian language, banning Russian culture, basically banning Russia. If you replace the term Russia from the existing Ukrainian laws and inserted Jew, you would have the same legal foundation as Nazi Germany in 1930s. Okay, let's get back to your observations about the Russian military. Uh, if you read mainstream media, big if if you're if you're concerned about the truth, you get the inescapable inescapable conclusion that Russia's army is no longer invincible. Is that a rational conclusion from what we've observed in Ukraine in the past two months? No, it's not a rational conclusion. The rational conclusion is that Russia had insufficient source, uh, resources for the task. You can't have a 1,000-kilometer front uh, manned by 30 to 60 men per kilometer, in some cases 15 men per kilometer. Russia didn't have enough men to accomplish the task, especially when NATO and the United States infused Ukraine with tens of billions of dollars of equipment, provided training, et cetera, allowing the Ukrainian military, which Russia largely destroyed over the course of the summer, to be reconstituted in a more modern, more capable form. Um, you know, but the Ukrainians have burned out their reserves. Uh, they've, they've, you know, in the, in the recent fighting, the Russian casualties, probably high uh, number in the high hundreds. The Ukrainian casualties, according to Ukraine themselves, are 20 to 50,000 dead and wounded. So how you turn this into a Russian defeat is beyond me. <laughs> is this effectively a de facto war of NATO and the U.S. versus Russia? Yeah, it's a proxy conflict. I mean, the one thing that's lacking is direct uh, NATO American boots on the ground with American, well, there are guys wearing American flags, but officially wearing uh, the, the the American uniform fighting for the United States. Um, but the, the bottom line is the army that Ukraine is wielding today is a NATO army. It's not a Ukrainian army. It's organized, trained, equipped by NATO. It receives instructions from NATO. It receives intelligence from NATO. The logistics are provided by NATO. It's a NATO military. The uh, Guardian of London is reporting that not only is the CIA present, but that U.S. special forces are present in large numbers. I don't know what that means So uh, on Ukraine. So my question to you is, if U.S. special forces are there, what's the, the minimum that would be there? Do they go out in groups of six or in groups, in groups of 600? I've been saying that the U.S. special forces have been in country since um, April, and I'm correct. Um, I mean, now, now the news is caught up and they're saying, yes, there's a presidential finding that's done that. We pulled out the CIA and we pulled out uh, special forces uh, in February when the uh, invasion took place. And in March, we, they were still not there. But once the decision was made to supply this materiel, uh, U.S. special forces returned for two functions. One, to facilitate the covert um, uh, routes that would be taken. I mean, there's a reason why Russia is not blowing all this stuff up at the border when it comes over. 
That's because the United States has carried out a very a concerted effort to break these things down into packages, get them across the border, assemble them covertly in warehouses, get them forward deployed to the units necessary. This is being done by United States Special Forces. Uh, they're also responsible for overseeing the integration of this equipment, communications, and the intelligence with the um, Ukrainian forces. The Ukrainian forces are using these um, iPads at Special Forces. It's a technique developed in Iraq and then later on in Syria, where we provided these iPads uh, capable of secure communications to forward deployed Iraqi forces and Syrian forces so they could receive direct intelligence feed and communicate back to their special forces handlers. So their special forces teams in Ukraine who are communicating directly with Ukrainian commanders on the front, sharing intelligence and tactical advice with them in real time. That's what they're doing. Right. So what you have just said, uh, what, what the Guardian reported, even going all the way up to a presidential finding, meaning Joseph R. Biden himself signed an order authorizing and directing this. Surely President Putin knows it. Why, why is it that no American has been injured, harmed, or, or captured? They're not even wearing uniforms, are they? Uh, I would hope they're not, but um, I don't know. Uh, generally speaking, they don't. Generally speaking, even when uh, joint special operations goes in in a situation like this, they'll be wearing civilian clothes. Uh, operating under some sort of cover, whether it be a contractor or some foreign uh, cover. Um, the Russians know this, and the Russians are actively targeting it. We don't know that we haven't suffered casualties. Generally speaking, in covert operations like this, when Americans die, um, it's reported as a training accident or um, you know, somehow it's, it's, it's hushed. We don't just acknowledge that an American died in Ukraine uh, in, in a covert operation. So who knows? You know, if we've lost anybody, who knows if the Russians are deliberately avoiding targeting Americans out of concern of uh, escalating this conflict? Um, I don't know. But what I can say with near certainty is that Americans are on the ground operating the manner that I've articulated to you. Russia knows about it and Russia's factoring this into their response. I believe that the Russian response is this. There's no need to kill an American operating 50 miles behind the front lines when all we have to do is destroy the Ukrainian forces, Ukrainian slash NATO forces that are in front of us. That's where we get victory. We don't get victory by killing an American. We get victory by destroying the Ukrainian military. And I think the Russian focus is on that, not on scoring some political points by killing a, a, a JSOC or a CIA person somewhere in Ukraine. All right, back to my uh, former question, and, and I guess this is an unknowable number, unless you know it from your own experience as to how these special forces work. Do we have any idea how many American boots are on the ground? Are we talking about five people, 50 people, 500 people, 5,000 people? We, we don't know. Generally, something like this uh, would be handed to, uh, on a scope and scale of this, uh, you might see a Delta squadron being given this task. That's 60 some odd people backed up by some JSOC assets. So you're probably looking at a couple hundred uh, people operating in Poland and over the border. I don't imagine these guys stay long in Ukraine. I imagine they go in and out. The CIA could probably have another uh, 50, 60 guys doing the same thing. Um, maybe the CIA staying a little bit longer. If this thing's really gone big, then we're going to bring in um, – 
the 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 green berets themselves the guys who specialize in this kind of uh, uh activity they might be sheep dipped as uh, cia paramilitaries uh there's a i don't want to get into it but there's a way to do that and so you know we there's the potential of hundreds of americans rotating in and out of uh, ukraine okay you mentioned poland. Oh, no, the president uh the president of poland made the statement that the crimea is part of ukraine and that a part of the military thrust should be to win back Crimea, as, as absurd as that sounds, but that's what he said. He's the popularly uh, elected president of, of, of a NATO ally. So is, is the goal of the nationalists and the State Department to defend Ukraine or to retake territory for Ukraine? Uh, neither. The goal of the United States, unfortunately for Ukraine, is to bleed Russia dry. Um, and they'll do that to the last Ukrainian. Uh, they're not here to preserve Ukraine. They're not here to recapture Ukrainian territory. They're not here to sustain the existence of uh, President Zelensky. Uh, we're simply willing to sacrifice Ukraine as a nation for the singular goal of inflicting harm on Russia. That's our goal and objective. I think Poland's frustrated by that because Poland's looking for a more decisive outcome. Uh, and I think other European nations are likewise looking for a more decisive outcome. They're not, um, because they live in Europe, they understand what it means for a European nation to, frankly speaking, disappear, uh, because that's what's going to happen to Ukraine. Um, so I think Poland is expressing its frustrations, articulating, but Poland is part of a 30-nation um, alliance where it's consensus-driven. So the desires of Poland are irrelevant when it comes to the policies of NATO. You uh, recently interviewed a formerly high-ranking Russian general who's now a member of the Russian Duma, their parliament, uh, and who is either in President Putin's inner circle or close to it. So two questions. What does he say to you, or what did you learn from the interview, whether he said it or not, uh, about the Russian military tactics and how they're perceived uh, by military experts. And number two, did you learn from him how stable or secure in his job and in his mortal life President Putin is? Either question first. Well, we'll start with Putin. Um, Putin's 100% in charge, and he has uh, extraordinary support amongst the Russian people, and he has extraordinary support amongst uh, his inner circle. Uh, he's not under threat, under attack. Um, he is stable. Um, he's not in panic. Uh, this is purely a Western narrative that's part of a overall information warfare effort being run that includes mainstream media actively participating, designed to create the impression of an of a unstable Putin so that there could be what they call a Moscow Maidan, a repeat of the February 2014 revolution in Kiev that ousted Viktor Yanukovych. Uh, right now, the policy of the United States and uh, Ukraine is to try and facilitate a similar uh, uprising in Moscow that could oust Putin. But, um, you know, this exists in fiction only. The reality is Putin is as strong as ever. Having said that, um, the, the, the general, uh, now currently a parliamentarian, uh, has voiced frustration with um, the special military operation. Um, he feels that uh, Russia went in too soft early on, that Russia should have gone in harder. He also feels that once um, it became clear that uh, 
the, the, the Ukrainian government wasn't going to fold like a house of cards, that there was going to be a fight, that that's the time Russia should have begun to mobilize, that this mobilization is coming late in the game. Uh, and as a result, it's resulted in some embarrassments for Russia. Uh, it's cost Russia some lives. But he's also confident that the mobilization will be seen through and that ultimately Russian forces will, as he said, reach the border with NATO, meaning this war doesn't end until Russian forces are staring Polish soldiers straight in the eyes right across that border checkpoint. Is it surprising or is it a standard operating procedure uh, that a civilian, President Putin, former KGB, but not former military, as far as I know, at least not a former general, uh, would be making day-to-day uh, battlefield decisions. Is this common for a Russian? For a Russian, did Joe Stalin make day-to-day battlefield decisions in World War II, or is your your general uh, interviewee, the person you interviewed, critical of this? And does he want the military to be making the decisions? Well, first of all, I don't think um, the 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 gentleman in question. Um, Andrei Gurulov um, said that Putin was making day-to-day decisions. Uh, that's not an accusation that he's put out there. Uh, Putin is. Is it, true that Putin is, making, is it true that Putin is making day-to-day decisions? Who decided to be so tentative on the part of the Russians early on, and to which resulted in these PR embarrassments? Well, this would have been a decision that Putin would have, uh, like any leader, would have sent through his his cabinet, his staff. Uh, with the primary briefers being the Minister of Defense and the um, the uh, Chief of the General Staff. This would be uh, Shoigu and Gerasimov. Uh, but also there would have been uh, a heavy say by the Russian intelligence service and Russian security services about the uh, state of play in Ukraine. And they would, you know, Putin would have outlined the objective, which is his job, to say, this, this is what I want accomplished. Now he would turn to them and say, how do we accomplish it? within the framework, within the constraints that I've set forward, meaning we don't want to slaughter the Ukrainians. We want to treat them as brothers. We want to, you know, only liberate the Donbass. We don't want to destroy Ukraine, et cetera. And then they come up with the answer and they brief it to him. He would then push back where necessary, as leaders are supposed to do, challenge certain assumptions, uh, accept others. But at the end of the day, there will be a consensus reached on a plan that he then turns over to his military leaders who then turn over to their field commanders, who then brief downwards, and Putin isn't part of any of that. Putin simply gives the initiating order and then sits back and waits to be briefed on the outcome. He's not managing this day by day. He's not telling battalion commanders, dig in here, do this, do that. That's not what's happening. Got it. Got it. Um, Last area I want to explore with you, which is American intel. As we understand it, and how do, how do we know this stuff? You have people in the business. I have people that, that talk to me and we read the mainstream media and we read the non-mainstream media like, like you and our friend Ed, Colonel McGregor. Uh, but uh, my understanding is that American intel told President Biden uh, that the Russians would win this quick and early. If that is true, how could they have been so wrong? Well, it's just American intel. Remember, General Miley briefed U.S. Congress uh, in, in about a week or so before the conflict. The same thing. He said he thought Kiev would be taken within 72 hours. Yours truly wrote a tweet where I said this war would be over in a week or so. Um, how did we get it wrong? 
I think none of us anticipated the constraints that were placed on the Russian military by the special military operation. Almost everybody who projected a war with Ukraine assumed the Russians would come in doctrinally, uh, bringing the full weight of their military capability to play and roll over the Ukrainians. Uh, there were two assumptions there. One, that the Russians would operate doctrinally, and two, that the Ukrainians would not resist. We were wrong on both. We were wrong on how the Russians would proceed. And I think the Ukrainians shocked the living you-know-what out of everybody by putting up the fight they did. You have to give hats off to the Ukrainians. They fight like madmen. They're doing a good job. They're, they're, they're honoring their military service. They're losing, but that doesn't mean it's for a lack of trying. They didn't surrender as everybody thought they would. They didn't roll over and play dead. They stood up. They fought. And because the Russians came in soft, because I think the Russians had the same assumption everybody else did, that the Ukrainians were going to chew hoy and surrender. And when the Ukrainians didn't, it became clear to the Russians that they had insufficient forces to the task. And they've been playing catch up ever since. They had to go to a maneuver warfare scheme to try and shape the battlefield. Then phase two was to concentrate forces on the Donbass, which they were succeeding in grinding down the Ukrainians, killing and wounding over 100,000 of them. But then NATO kicks in with tens of billions of dollars, which was unexpected by anybody, changed the nature of the game, and now Russia's responding to it. Um, All right. where, do you, where do you expect the battle to go in the next month, let's say before, the, before Christmas, next two months, before the, the cold comes, the heavy-duty winter sets in? Where do you expect I, I, it to go? Are we going to see you know, Russian jets carpet bombing sections of Ukraine? Are we going to see the Ukraine military using American equipment to destroy supplies in Russia? Where do you think this goes? Well, I, I see the Ukrainian government um, attempting to do whatever they can while they can. Uh, they've already stripped their reserves from everywhere to try and you know achieve these, you know, these fences. They've pretty much burned out. Now, as soon as I say that, we're going to wake up tomorrow morning and uh, we're going to read that the Ukrainians captured another two or three villages. Everybody's go, oh, Ritter was wrong. No, losing two or three villages is not the war, man. Losing two or three villages is the Russians saying, I'm not willing to lose 200 guys for this piece of terrain. We're going to fall back on a more defensible terrain until we get the resources necessary to redefine the battlefield. I think the Russians are going to seize the uh, initiative. You're going to see a series of uh, localized offenses, uh, offensive actions designed to stabilize the battlefield, push the Ukrainians out of territory the Russians don't want them in, maybe pull back a little bit where they need to be, because General Mud's coming in, and when that happens, Russia's going to solidify the line, complete the mobilization. Everybody I've talked to says that Russia will not achieve full mobilization capacity until sometime in December. And at that point in time, then we're going to see Russia turn over to the offensive, and it's going to be a game-changing event, I believe. In the meantime, Russia will carry out a strategic air campaign, but that campaign has to be timed to the anticipated ground assault. You don't want to blow too many things up too early and give people a chance to repair. So I think we're going to see a slowly unfolding air campaign as the Russians build up their military power, and the Ukrainians are going to continue to try and achieve some sort of miraculous uh, victory on the battlefield. They're burning themselves out. Tragically, tens of thousands of these brave Ukrainian soldiers and tens of thousands or thousands of, I guess I can't call them cowards, but mercenaries uh, who shouldn't be there, but are, are dying right now. They're getting slaughtered. I mean, there's, there's stories coming out of what the Chechens did to a particular column that, um, 
you know, I looked at the video and if the video is accurate, uh, anybody who thinks that Ukraine's winning this war, look at that video. Uh, they're not winning. You know, so. Much appreciate your, your analysis and your courage. Always a pleasure. We'll see you again soon. Thank you very much. Thanks, Judge. Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom. Across California, school food professionals are using their skills to develop recipes that incorporate fresher ingredients and more scratch cooking. Learn how they're cooking up change at schoolfoodpros.org. Grant provided by California Community College's Chancellor's Office.